Acts chapter 2, please. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Always fun to uh, be starting a new book, and we get to start a new book today. It's not the book of Acts, though, but the book of Acts is going to be our uh, introduction to what we're going to be getting into. So Acts chapter 2. Now, the reason I like Acts chapter 2 is because Acts chapter 2 is the chapter of the birth of the church, of the believers, the Christians getting together to come and to learn about what God wants them to do. So as we go through this in Acts chapter 2, we get a chance to learn what God has in store for us, what God has planned for us. Now, the first few years when Christ was here on this earth, he was training up the disciples, and the reason he was training up the disciples was to get them ready for when he went to heaven, that that could be on the earth, and that they would then go forward and be the church. And so what you have here in Acts chapter 2 is the birth of the church, and then what you have for the rest of the New Testament are the epistles written to the different churches and leaders of those churches to tell them how to go live this life, how to be that type of church that God has called us to be. Because my personal opinion is I think a lot of times when you look at what the church is today, I think we've gotten off of what God wants us to be. I think the church that we have today is not the church that God originally intended for and what he originally wanted. In Acts chapter 2, you get to see what type of church he wanted. So let's look at this. Acts chapter 2, verse 40. It says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now you see the first part here of what the church is supposed to be is verse 40. Be saved from this perverse generation. That is the purpose why you're here and I'm here is to see people that aren't saved get saved in Christ Jesus. That's the purpose. How many times have we said out here at church, the two W's in life is to worship and witness. That is what God has called us to do. If you look on the front of your bulletins there at the bottom where it says our mission is to see people saved and go deeper in Jesus. That's why we're here. That's the purpose of the church is to equip the saints to go out and see people get saved saved. That's why. How simple is that? But yet with that mindset, it seems like the institution of the church has kind of gone off that a little bit, hasn't it? It seems like what you see sometimes with churches is instead of being an institution to go out and see people get saved, it's a way for us to build each other up. It's a way for us to have that almost little country club type atmosphere. It's that way for us just to be our own little group unto ourselves. And when you really look at what the purpose of the church is, once again, it's verse 40. Be saved from this perverse generation. Here's the hard part about the whole salvation thing. Not everybody wants it. Look at verse 41. And those who gladly received. See, some people don't receive it. They don't want to be saved. I want them to be saved. God wants them to be saved. They don't want to be saved. And so therefore, that's what we run into problems. If you remember correctly, when Jesus was doing like the parable of the sower and the seed, one-fourth of them actually got it. One-fourth actually got it. A lot of times when you go out and share Christ and I share Christ, people don't receive it. So we do a lot of planting. See, that's kind of what I see a lot of times is we're supposed to be doing a lot of planting and watering when it comes to people's spiritual growth. Let's just be honest. A lot of times people aren't saved by that first initial introduction to Christ. And it'd be interesting to see for you that are saved here today is how you got saved. I doubt many of you, the first time someone came up to you and proclaimed the gospel of Christ to you, I don't think you hit your knees right there wherever you were at, and all of a sudden, boom, you got saved. You both were reaching for the same gallon of milk at Walmart. He looked at you in the eye and said, you're going to hell unless you have Christ, and you hit your knees and got saved right there. I doubt that happened. I'm not saying that would not be good. That would be great. And I hear testimonies about people that got saved the first time immediately, just it hit them. 
Generally speaking, a lot of you got saved, and the way I got saved is someone loved you enough over time, be it days, be it weeks, be it months, maybe even be it years, just witnessed to you, showed love to you, or just around you, and you saw the Christian life lived in front of you, and eventually you said, that's what I want. That's what happened to me. My freshman year in high school, that's when Pastor Craig first started witnessing to me. I wasn't interested in my freshman year, really wasn't interested in my sophomore year, finally my junior year, is it all came together. There was two years there of watering and planting and, and witnessing, and I'm thankful for his faithfulness and his family's faithfulness. But aren't you glad that people took the time with you to not just give up after a day, a week, a month, or a year? It is a long process sometimes for people to come to know the Lord. Well, the purpose of church is to equip the Christians to go out there and do that. The reason we're here today, and there may be some people here that are going to come to church services on Sundays or Wednesdays that aren't saved, but the vast majority of people that come are saved. The purpose of that is to equip you, the Bible says, so that way when you go out into the work field, you are therefore going out to be lights and witnesses for all you do and all you say. So often we look at church and people say, well, let's get them to church. Just get them to church and they'll get saved. That can happen. Obviously we talk about Christ here. We talk about salvation here. When the Lord leads, we definitely do altar calls, etc. But at the same time, too, the vast majority of the teaching we do is we're teaching to believers. So therefore, when you leave today, you're going out into the mission field of the world to spread the gospel of Christ Jesus. The purpose is not just to get them here. The purpose, too, is to equip you so as you go out into the workforce, as you go home to unsafe friends and family members, as you go to school, you therefore then spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what the purpose of the church is, to equip the saints, the Bible says, for the working of the ministry. And that's why church is here. Once again, you see a lot of churches, as, as they grow and develop, they almost become, once again, this country club type feel, this, this atmosphere of it's just for us. Well, once again, the purpose is to bless you, to help you grow, to go out and be a light and a witness to other people. And how do we do that? Well, verse 42 tells us the tools that God gives us to use. It continued steadfastly. That's the first phrase that we need to look at, is that idea of continuing steadfastly. Fastly. That word literally means to be devoted to, to be constant. Devoted to, to be constant. A healthy church is going to be devoted to and constantly focused on these things. What things should they be focused on? First one is the apostles' doctrine. God's word. You know, here at Harvest Fellowship, we place a big emphasis on teaching God's word. It's one of the things I've always loved about Calvary Chapel is that they focus on teaching God's word. You know, it's not that we're opposed to doing um, topicals or anything like that. We do topicals sometimes. We did some topicals around Easter. We've done some around Christmas. You know, when the Lord leads, we'll do them. But, but what we like to do is when we finish a book, we like to start another book and just go forward with it. Go through and get God's word. You know, and I'll be honest with you, very selfishly, I find that a whole lot easier. I know for Wednesday, guess what we're going through? 2 Corinthians chapter 7. You know how I know we're going through 2 Corinthians chapter 7? Because last Wednesday we did 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I like that. Part of the beauty of also going through God's word is you get the full doctrine of that letter. That letter was written as a setting to a church at Corinth. When you go verse by verse through it, you get the full feel of it. And number two, part of the beauty of going verse by verse through the Bible is hopefully people that come on Wednesday say, hey, we just finished up chapter 6. I bet you we're going into chapter 7 next week. So I'm going to read ahead. I'm going to pray about it. And so that way I'm prepared to see what the Spirit has to say when I come to church. We believe there needs to be an emphasis on teaching God's Word, the Apostles' Doctrine. That's why there is a ladies' study on Tuesday. There's moms' groups on Tuesday. There's women's Bible studies on Friday. There's men's Bible studies on Saturdays. There is Wednesday night church. There's Sunday church. All opportunities for someone to say, I can get fed in God's Word. And as I get fed in God's Word, that grows me in my walk in relationship with the Lord. There's an emphasis on teaching God's Word. The next one that you see there 
is the idea of fellowship. Now, fellowship can be a dirty word in some Christian churches. Because there's some churches that the whole point almost seems to be just fellowship. And that's all they do is just activities, get together. And there's not the other emphases that we're talking about. But then there's other churches, well, we're not going to fellowship because when you get together to fellowship, we're not here to have fun. There's a balance there. Jesus fellowshiped all the time. He was constantly sitting down with people and eating. He was always doing that. He was going to the wedding. He was doing things. He, a lot of times in the teachings of Christ, he seems like he was just hanging out at somebody's house. And the next thing you know, he's doing this great teaching. Fellowship is important. Fellowship is part of being a body of Christ. That's why we have like the fellowship meals on Wednesday. It's great to be able to come sit down, eat with somebody that maybe you don't know real well, or maybe you haven't got a chance to talk to. I know on a typical Sunday, you get about 30 seconds to say hi to somebody. You really can't really build a relationship. You really can't know, get to know somebody. So that's why a lot of times during the week, I'll call somebody up and say, hey, let's get together. Let's grab a bite. Let's just talk. That's part of the beauty of fellowship is getting to know them. And Jesus, one of the things I love about Jesus is he died for my sins. Yeah, that's good. But he loved to eat. Jesus is always eating. And so there's something about just that getting together and the breaking of bread and fellowship. There is such a joy in just getting together. And so I encourage that idea of fellowship. And, and you can know what? You can combine fellowship with ministry. Take, for example, this golf outing coming up here in a couple weeks on a Saturday. So why not, guys, invite one of your unsafe friends and loved ones that likes to golf? Take them golfing with you. You have the fellowship, and you know what? They'll come. They'll be around other Christian men, and hopefully they see something different. They see that people aren't cussing. They see that people aren't acting that way. They're not acting like the world. And so you are having fellowship, but at the same time, that fellowship is actually ministry at the same time. There is a blessing in fellowship. And part of the beauty of fellowship is getting to know one another. As the church grows, it gets harder and harder to know people. And it takes a bigger effort on our part as individuals in the church to go talk to somebody that we may not know, that we may not really recognize, and that's really tough for us, isn't it? It's really just easy to stay in your little spot, in your little section. It's tough to get out and meet the people that you don't know, but that's also part of the body is the fellowship and unity. I can remember when uh, Jim was the pastor, he used to do this thing where before the message he would say, go shake three people's hands. You remember that? And so I never really wanted to get, get out because I was always kind of shy about it, so I would always like shake Dawn's hand. <laughs> I, sh I, sh I shook my wife's hand so many Sundays, and then whoever was near, it's like, oh, there's my father, and I'll shake his hand. And uh, there's Renee, I'll shake his hand. And you know, because there's this element of us that it is difficult to go up for some people and say, hi, I've never met you, I'm James, or something like that. But if you don't build those relationships as a body and as individuals, then you are not a family. Like it or not, when you got saved, you became part of the family. And just like in your earthly families, you got people you don't like. Well, sometimes in your spiritual family, you're going to have people you really don't like. Tough luck, you're still a family. This is still part of the body. That's still part of the fellowship is knowing each other and building on that. And once again, as the church grows numerically, it gets tougher to know people. Don and I had a situation that happened a few years ago where we were uh, going to this get-together, and it was kind of outside of church, but someone from church kind of invited us type thing. And so we went, and I, and I ran into them, and we started talking. We talked to them for like you know, a good 10 minutes or so and talked to the whole family. And they left, and Dawn and I kept going, and Dawn leaned over to me. She goes, who that? And I said, that's so-and-so. Well, how do you know them? I said, honey, they've been coming out the harvest for like three years. Now, I know Dawn's not saved, so I don't expect... <laughs> I don't expect a lot out of her when it comes to fellowship and knowing the church. But for you that are saved out there, I expect that. You know, It's tough, though. Once again, as the church grows, it gets harder to know people. 
And you know, and when the church was, was, was a lot smaller n- numerically, you knew everything about everybody that everybody was doing. And you know, when someone had a baby, it's like the whole church, you know, now there's like seven, eight ladies pregnant at one time. You know, I mean, there's all this stuff. So-and-so is getting married. Oh, that's so exciting because there's only, you know, 30 of us. Well, now so-and-so is getting married. Who's that? You know, and once again, as the church grows, it gets tougher. And so that's why one of the aspects of a, of a healthy church is that idea of fellowship. And I encourage you, if you're the type of person that says, like, hey, that's really not my thing. I like to come at 9.59, and I like to leave at 11.31. That's you. I can't change that. But I encourage you to open up yourself in that area a little bit because to not really open yourself up to the body is really not being as strong as church and a, as a believer that you can be. I don't know how many times we've said this out here. There are no island Christians. Some people just like to have their own little walk in relationship with the Lord. That's not the way God designed the church. The church is this intermixing of people of all different backgrounds that come together for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. Sometimes we all don't get along. That happens throughout the book of Acts. It happens through the epistles. It happens through the gospels. But God says, let's all come together and fellowship. You see the idea of breaking of bread there. Some people also believe that refers to that idea of communion and understanding the importance of communion. And then you see the idea there of prayer. Prayer is vital in a church. That's why we spend on a Wednesday night, we'll spend the first 10 minutes after worship to do prayer requests for the body to be able to know what the other needs of the body are. That's why we encourage you to take those prayer request sheets and fill them out. People may not know you. They may not know your situation, but we have people that will still pray for you. There's prayer times Wednesday before church. There's a guy's prayer time and a gal's prayer time. And there's also other groups that meet throughout the week that faithfully pray over things. And Pastor Rich has it on his heart. He wants to start up a, um, another church-wide prayer time to really get the body praying together. Because when you look at what this is, this is what God calls us. You know, last year we did something. We kind of called it the summer of uh, service. We went out into the communities and did a lot of stuff. This summer we really feel led to let's get back to the basics. The basics are what? Making sure, verse 40, people are saved. That is the purpose of why we're here. How many times have you heard us say this? The two W's, worship and witness. That's what God has called us to do, worship and witness. We want to make sure that people are saved. And we just talked about this Wednesday night. If you are feeling a little um, dry in your walk, kind of feel like you're stuck in a rut spiritually, maybe a little ho-hum, Wednesday night we asked, when's the last time you had a chance to share the gospel with somebody? One of the most exciting things you can do is tell somebody about Christ. And boy, every day when you get up, Lord, just give me an opportunity to show the love of Jesus to someone. It may be what I call hardcore evangelism, where you really get a chance to share the eternity of heaven and hell and salvation. It may also be something as simple as telling somebody, hey, I'll pray for you. Maybe just as simple as showing the love of Jesus to someone in actions. But we want to have that opportunity every day to do verse 40, save people from this perverse generation. So with this mindset of what is supposed to be the church, how it's supposed to work, how it's supposed to run, you see that emphasis there, that our emphasis is supposed to be see people saved, verse 40, use the tools of God's word, fellowship, the idea of communion with Christ and in prayer. It's understanding how these all come together. And when you have all these come together, you have that healthy church that then it can work to its full potential through the Lord to see souls get saved in Christ. Now, with that mindset of what the church is supposed to be, please turn, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be starting the book of 1 Timothy. And 1 Timothy is one of the uh, epistles that Paul wrote to Timothy, who was a young pastor. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy to say, hey, this is how the church is supposed to work. Now, if you know, anytime we start a new study, we always like to give you a theme for what the book is about. For Proverbs, we talk about how it was knowing God's wisdom. We went through Ecclesiastes. We talked about Ecclesiastes moments, those dark times in life, God getting you through. When we went through Esther, we talked about how God is moving and working even when you don't know it or don't see it. 
Well, here in 1 Timothy 3, we see the key verse in the book of Timothy is found in verses 14 and 15 of 1 Timothy 3. It says, These things I write to you, and I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. But what a great passage. God is saying through Paul, through the Holy Spirit, I'm writing this book so you know how the church is supposed to work. I'm excited about this. Because once again, as the church grows, the church grows changes it just does and we mentioned to you there earlier before when the the church was smaller numerically you knew everything you knew everybody knew what was going on but now as things change it just becomes different doesn't it it's a different feel i remember like i said when i first started coming out to harvest uh harvest here um it was in the little white house uh by the bank there in hamler and you know in the background for this is uh jim started bible study in his house uh, it was 20 years ago actually this year he was part of a a harvest fellowship down in lima when that kind of disbanded he started a bible study up in his house and and so it started at 91 and god started blessing and i started going in 93 there in the little white house and i remember uh Rich used to joke about overflow seating. Um, there's a little kitchen area you could set up like five, six extra folding chairs, and that was the overflow seating. And you had this great group, and it was really neat to see what God did. Well, then as God grew the church, it went from the little white house there in Hamler, you know, from at least from when I was starting it, it, it was in Jim's house and moved across the road there, et cetera, but moved out to the library, and then we were in the library in uh, Patrick Henry School for a while. Then after the library, you went to the cafeteria in Patrick Henry School, and then 1998, this building was built, and we've been out here and been blessed ever since. And it's neat to see what, what God has done throughout the years, but at the same time, too, as it has grown, it's changed. And you know, it's neat. It's neat to be part of a, of a growing church, and, and we've always said out here the focus is not numbers, but as the church has grown numerically, you also want that church to grow spiritually. What's the point of growing in numbers if you're not growing spiritually? What's the point? One of the things that Jesus always did, it's actually kind of interesting, is anytime he got a big group following him in the Gospels, what did Christ do? He gave them a pretty hard lesson, and then people start falling away because Jesus said it's not the numbers, it's the ministry. It's the spiritual growth. That's what matters more than anything. And so often you see churches focused on numbers and, and, and how big they are and all that other type of stuff. There was a church that we went to it's been a few years ago. We had a ministry opportunity over there, so we had to go to that church. And as you walked into their foyer, they had this huge stock graph in their foyer of their growth numerically. That's their choice. You know, I always like to joke, you know what, I know some churches are wonderful churches that are some of the best churches around. And you know how I know they're wonderful churches, that they're best churches around? Because they tell me they're wonderful churches and they're the best church around. I'm telling you right now, I'm setting the bar so low for you today. We're nothing. I Actually, I encourage you. You can go find a better service this morning. Go ahead and take off if you want to because we're going to set the bar so low you have no expectations. How about that? Because when you keep it simple, it's simple. The reason we are here this morning is to give you a time of fellowship, to give you a time of worship, to give you an opportunity to find a place to serve somewhere in the body or in the community at a prayer time or whatever, and to also give you a time of teaching God's Word. That's why we're here. Then once we're done with this at 1130, we're sending you out and say, hey, go be a light and a witness now. That's why we're here. And this book of Timothy is here to teach us how to do that. Some churches get so focused on them and what they are as a church, they become once again this little group, this little club, and look at us. It's all about Christ. It's seeing Christ preached. That's what matters more than anything, is seeing souls get saved. And that's what is, needs to be the focus. And I'm excited about this too, because once again, as, as the church is growing, it changes. And, and we sit out here and it's like, wow, Lord, what do you want us to do? What's the vision of this? And I encourage you. There's a great verse in the book of Proverbs that says, where there's no vision, the people perish. Pray for that vision. We have a lot of neat opportunities. We have a lot of exciting things we think God wants to do, but we want to make sure it's his will. 
want to make sure it's things for him. And so pray for that vision. Pray for that. Because as things change and as things grow, we want to make sure we're doing the best we can to spread the gospel of Christ Jesus because that is truly all that matters in this world. All that matters. So with that being said, let's see what Paul has to say here through the Spirit in Timothy. It says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, a true son of the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's kind of standard greeting, if you will. If you've read any of Paul's writings before, this is a typical greeting from Paul, especially that second part of verse 2, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I don't want to skip over that because that's like theology 101 right there. Everything you need to know about salvation is really right there. You want a relationship with God the Father? Well, you got to get peace and grace and mercy from Jesus Christ. And once you have grace and mercy from Jesus Christ, you have peace with God the Father. So when you just read those words, it's not just words. That's salvation in a nutshell right there. Grace and mercy comes through Christ dying on the cross, which gives us peace in our relationship with God the Father. What an important little nugget of information there. He's writing this to Timothy, his spiritual son, that he has obviously taken under his wing. But look at this, Paul. An apostle. Apostle just means one who was sent. That's really what it means. He was sent by the Lord. But even more so than sent, apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God. He was commanded by God to do this. Have you ever had something that was on your heart that it wasn't just a nudge from the Lord? You knew what you had to do. And if you did not do what you had to do, you just had that sick feeling in your stomach of just, until I do this, until I obey, until I follow what God wants, I'm just not doing what I'm supposed to do. That's what this word is showing there. Paul was commanded by God to go be this apostle, and he wanted to go forth as an apostle for the Lord. Now, God has called you to golf, go forth, and be a light and a witness in all you do and say. But God help us to have that same burden that Paul had to see souls get saved. Jesus wept over Jerusalem the week before they crucified him because his heart broke so much for that town for that, that was going to kill him. Boy, can we have that same heart? There's some great verses in Ezekiel 33 and Ezekiel 18 where it talks about how God has no joy in the death of the wicked, about how God does not desire to see a unsaved soul lost. So often we get this picture of God, don't we, of he's sitting up there in heaven, and when a non-believer dies, almost this laugh, almost this, this, this joy of seeing the sinner punished. The Bible makes it clear that God has no joy in the death of the wicked. Give us that same heart, Lord, to, to break when we see someone who is not saved, that we care so much about them, to want to go spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And words and action and deeds, we want that same burning passion. And like I said to you earlier in the message, if there is not that heart for that, I encourage you, number one, to pray for that. Number two, pray for opportunities for that to come into your life. There's always people to minister to. And like I said earlier, it may not be hardcore evangelism of spreading the gospel. It may just be, I'm praying for you, or you know what, my heart breaks for you, or hey, here's a scripture, or I'm going to drop you a card, or I'm just going to go over and say hi. Something to show the love of Christ in what we do and say. So Paul's called to do this, commanded to do this. So are we. Now you may say, I can't. Well, jump ahead to verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. This is one of the parts I love. We're commanded to do it, but verse 12, God enables us to do it. We can't do it, can we? You and I are not capable of saving a single person. As a pastor, I'm not capable of, of saving any marriage. I'm not able to heal anybody from, from sickness. That's, I'm not able to do anything. It's God that enables everything. So Paul is called, he's commanded, but then God enables him. That's part of the beauty of it. So whatever God has called you to do, he's going to enable you to do it. 
If you've got that co-worker at work that your heart breaks for and you really want to share the gospel with, God's going to enable you to have the words to say. You really want to get involved in ministry, but you don't know where, you don't think you can, God will enable you to have the strength to do it. God will enable you to do what he has called you to do. He is never going to call you to do something then leave you hanging out there. He will always enable you to do it. And Paul was enabled by the Lord to do it. And why was Paul enabled by the Lord to do it? Because he counted me faithful. Which really just means Paul was willing. Isn't that what all God's looking for is just a willing heart? And if you have a willing heart, he'll enable you. Remember back in the book of Isaiah, God calls out from heaven, Whom shall I send? And Isaiah replies, Here I am, send me. Isaiah was willing and God enabled him. So I guess the first question we have to ask with this little part of the teaching is, are you willing? If you're not willing, there's nothing we can do about that. See, there's a lot of people that come and just like to eat, just like to be fed. Part of the reason you are fed spiritually is so you can go out and bless other people. I remember one time hearing a teaching about the Dead Sea, and it just totally blew my mind that the reason the Dead Sea is dead is because water only flows into the Dead Sea. There's not an outlet. So therefore, as water only flows into the Dead Sea, it just sits there and stagnates and it dies. And so therefore, there's no outflow. Same thing happens spiritually. If you just keep eating and eating and eating spiritually, but you never once give back spiritually, you're just going to be dead. God says the reason you are fed at church, the reason you do devotions, the reason you are going through the Apostles' Doctrine and the Prayer of the Fellowship, all that stuff, is so you could be blessed spiritually, so therefore you go out into the workplace and you bless other people. That is why we do this. We give you, as a church, an opportunity for Bible studies, for prayer, for fellowship, for worship, etc. So therefore, when you go out and you leave this building, you are now entering the mission field to say, I want to do everything I can to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ through words, action, and deeds. God enables you, and you are faithful, you are willing, and once you are willing, once you are enabled, and you are commanded to go, look at the end of verse 12, putting me into the ministry. Now, some people may be saying, finally, I'm off the hook because I'm not a minister. Now, you know, this is a little pet peeve of mine. Pet peeve of mine. That word ministry, minister, just means servant. One of my favorite little sayings is every member is minister. You have a ministry. You have an area where you can serve. You are a minister. When we think of the word minister, we think of pastor. That is not what that word means. A minister just means a servant. You are a minister. You are a servant for the Lord. So therefore, if you're a minister, that means you have a ministry. If you have a ministry, that means you have been willing. And you, since you are willing, that means you are enabled. And if you are able, that means you are commanded to go. It all comes together. So therefore, you have to figure out where your ministry is. For some of you, your ministry may just be at home at this point in your season of life. For some of you, your ministry may be at bay, back in the back. Your ministry may be cleaning. Your ministry may be at the workforce. I don't know where your ministry is. I can't tell you where your ministry is. But I know that you, as a born-again believer in Christ, have a ministry. It always used to bug me. When I would first get saved and I hear Christians talk about their ministry, it's like, why don't I have a ministry? I felt like I was missing out on something, and I realized we all got a ministry. We all have an area where you're called to serve. Are you just faithful to go there and serve in that area? Paul was. So put this all together. Paul's commanded by the Lord. He's enabled to do this. He's faithful and willing to do it. He now has a ministry to go do it. Now some of you may be saying, not me. Not me. I can't. For whatever reason, I can't. My background, my past, my whatever. Really what those are are excuses. Because what it comes down to is if God has called you, God has enabled you. If you are called by the Lord, he's enabled you to do it. If you feel you're not enabled to do it, what you're really doing is doubting God's calling on your life. He's able to do it. Take a look here real quick at verse 13. Let's look at Paul's past. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorant and unbelief. How many times have we said this? If Paul can be saved, anybody can be saved. What is Paul's background? Paul's background before he got saved was what? He rounded up Christians and had them killed. That man that used to round up Christians to have them killed got born again in Christ, 
And now he's teaching other Christians how to live the Christian walk. That's what God does. If Paul can be saved, if he can go from Saul to Paul, anybody you know can also be saved too, if they're willing, if they want to have that relationship with Christ. Which also means too, whatever your background is, you're not excluded ministry. I don't know how many times I've seen people exclude themselves from ministry. I can't. My background, my past, what I used to do, how could I ever go be a light and a witness? God is going to use that background and past to be a light and a witness. That's what he's going to do. Whatever you were in the past, God will still use you moving forward. But the problem is you have to move past the past. That's why in the book of Philippians, Paul wrote, I put my past behind me and I press forward towards the goal of Christ Jesus. How many of us are living in the past and so therefore we don't move forward with what God has done? 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. If you're a new creation in Christ, you have to let go of that past. Now your friends, your family members, your co-workers, they may not let you go of that past, but God's let go of it. And you can move forward. Just like Paul moved forward, you can move forward as a light and as a witness. And how can you do this? Because of verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He is the chief of all sinners. If God can save the chief of all sinners, that means he can save you, he can save your loved ones, he can save anybody. If God can use the chief of all sinners, that means he can use you. Now, really what you're saying is, I can't be used by God. You're limiting God. God is not powerful enough or strong enough to enable me to be a light and a witness for him because of my past. Jesus' death did not take care of my past. Boy, what a ridiculous statement. If Christ saved Paul and moved Paul from the old life to the new life, he can do the same thing for you. I know you're bad, but you're not the chief of all sinners of verse 15. See, sometimes we get in these little pity parties of how bad we are. Paul says, no, I win this title. He's the chief of all sinners. God saved him. God used him. That means God can save and use anybody as long as they're willing. Verse 16, however, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all along suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. That phrase, me first. We have a little rule in the Irvin household. You can never say me first. Dawn says the only time you can say me first if you're lining up for spankings. That's the only time you can say me first. Other than that, there's never a reason to say me first. Paul, he gets to say in verse 16, he goes, no, me first. Me. My walk with Christ, my salvation experience, me first shows everybody they can be saved. Because God went and took the worst of the worst, the chief of all sinners, showed him patience and love, and look at the end of verse 16, as a pattern to those who are going to believe. Paul says, you can look at me, because if God saved me, that means he can save you. That's why Paul wrote, imitate me as I imitate Christ Jesus. That's not a prideful statement. That's a statement of saying, I'm walking with the Lord, so as you watch me, you're going to be able to know how you should walk with Christ too. So what it comes down to in verse 16, God saved you as a pattern to those people that you're around. So that way when they see you, they see what God can do. That's why God put you where you're at. With friends, family, co-workers, etc. is to be a pattern for them to show Christ. Once again, I am not putting down those salvation experiences of someone hears it, meets that person for the first time, they hit their knees and accept Christ. That's great. Generally speaking, the way most salvation experiences happen is somebody is around somebody in verse 16 saw the pattern of Christianity being lived out day in and day out basis, saw them go from the old life to the new life, and they eventually say, 
I want that. To really see someone get saved means that you are going to invest days, weeks, months, years into them, planting seeds through the Holy Spirit and being patient to allow God to work in their hearts for them to come to know Jesus Christ. See, so often we get it backwards. Bring your unsaved loved ones to church. We'll preach to them. They'll get saved. Does it work? Yeah, it does work. I thank God for that, that it does work. And I know people that that has happened to. Generally speaking, you invite them, they say no. You talk for a little bit. Hey, you should come out. We're doing something special. Nah, I'm not interested. Hey, you like to golf? We got this men's golf out. Come on, why don't you come up? Ah, maybe I'll think about it. Then they show up one Sunday. Nah, it wasn't, hey, it wasn't that bad. But then they don't show up again for a few weeks. But the Lord's working on their heart. Then they come back again a little later. Then they come back again a little later. That's usually how these type of things work. Take a look at Nicodemus in the Gospels. He came to Jesus at night. And Jesus said, you must be born again. Did Nicodemus hit his knees? As far as we know, no, he didn't. But then later on, when Jesus died on the cross, Nicodemus shows up and says, I'm not a secret disciple. I'm coming out here to show that I am a lover of Jesus Christ. And it took time to do that. So Paul says God is patient as he works in us, as he works with us. And we are a pattern for salvation to those who need to come to know Christ. Verse 17, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What a beautiful picture this is of what it's supposed to be. You still may be struggling with this idea of not me. You may hear, okay, yeah, Paul did this, God did that, but not me. Once again, I'm, I'm past the point of this. My background, my past, I can't. This is what I want to finish with. Can you turn to the book of Exodus, please? Exodus chapter 4. God is looking for willing people that he will enable to go out and spread the gospel of Christ. We're all called to be ministers. We're all called to have this element of our life of of fellowship and doctrine and breaking bread and prayer and worship. We're all called to that area. Now the question comes up, are we going to be obedient with that? Exodus 4 is what I want to finish with because this is a picture of Moses. Now, everybody knows the story of Moses. We've seen the Ten Commandments. We know what Charlton Heston does here as Moses. So, Now, let's get the real account of this. Moses here was a unique beginning. Long story short, he spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court. And then Moses knew that the, it seems to say, that Moses had this idea that God had called him something bigger and better here to save the Jews. So Moses decided in his own power, and his own might, he was going to kill an Egyptian one by one, hide him in the sand, and free the Jews. That doesn't work out. So Moses feels defeated. He leaves. So now Moses, who's now 80, God calls him back into ministry. Now Moses, who at 40 was vibrant and ready and willing to take on the whole army of the Egyptians, now at 80 is defeated and says, I can't. How many of us are like that spiritually? Lord, I can't. Lord, I know you're calling me to do this. I can't. Lord, I know you want me to share this with this person, but I don't know what to say. We have excuse after excuse after excuse. Chapter 4 of Exodus is really in the chapter of excuses. This is a man making excuses to God of why he can't. Look at verse 1. Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. How many of us said, Okay, I'm going to go up and share with my coworker tomorrow. Okay, but what happens when they ask this? And they ask this, I don't know what I'm going to say. Or what happens when they say this? I don't know what to do, so therefore I don't say anything because I don't know what to say or do. Verse 2. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod. He said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground. It became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. And the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob is a pure Jew. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. He put his hand in his bosom, and he took out, behold, it was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in the bosom again and drew it out of the bosom. Behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be if they do not believe you nor heed the messages of the first sign, 
They may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river, pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. God says whatever situation you're going to go in, I will enable you to take care of that. I'm telling you right now, if God is leading you to any type of ministry, any type of service, to any type of witnessing opportunity, he will empower you with the strength and the words and the spirit to do what needs to be done. That's what God does. We sit here worrying about what if this. We say, I can't handle it. I can't do it. I'm not qualified. God says, I take care of qualifying you. I take care of enabling you. As the old saying goes, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies those that are called. If you are willing to go, he is going to enable you. Just like with Moses, he enabled him. Now, the problem is Moses still has excuses. Verse 10. And Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Okay, God, I know you're empowering me, but, but I'm, not, I'm not good at this. I'm not good with kids. I'm not good in front of people speaking. I, I'm not good. I, we just have another excuse. Verse 11, So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, the blind? Have I not the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you, you shall say. We take our weaknesses and say, my weaknesses keep me from doing X, Y, and Z. God says, I know your weaknesses. I created you. I know what you're weak in. He goes, I will still help you through your weaknesses. I, I run to this trap a lot. My excuse is, I'm not called to be with kids. God says, and I keep getting stuck with kids. I have four of them. So, you know, it's one of those things where I actually, my first quote-unquote ministry out here at, at Harvest was, well, actually, the first thing I did is I remember they let me do announcements on Sunday. So I got a chance to do announcements. And then when we moved into out here at the high school, the first thing they did is I uh, got a chance to do nursery. Can you believe that? Me. I was in nursery. And uh, they got me out of there quickly. But I did it. I did nursery. After I did nursery, I started teaching. I did some uh, Wednesday nights. And after I started Wednesday nights with the kids, I did some Sunday mornings. So I have been in the back. I've been the Sunday school teacher. I've been in the nursery. And it's kind of funny because I do this. This is what I say. I've done my time. I'm not going back there. And what happens is God keeps bringing me back in. Last summer for VBS, guess where I served? Toddlers. Because, in fact, I had two of mine were toddlers, but God keeps bringing me back. So the point is, I have noticed in my life, verses 10, whatever, whatever weaknesses I say I have, whatever excuses I have, God says, you know what, you think you're weak in that area? Good, let's work out that spiritual muscle. And that's what he does. Isn't that the point of working out physically? The areas of your life that are weak, you try to strengthen them. Same thing happens spiritually. If you're weak in an area... I bet you God's going to keep throwing you in that same position again and again to teach you to trust him. So Moses has his excuse. God comes back and says, I know your excuses. I created you. Now, verse 12, now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. He goes, go, verse 13. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Moses finally gets to the point. I don't want to send someone else. Look at verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. God got angry at Moses when Moses finally just said, I don't want to. God is patient with you with your excuses. I can, I'm not good at this. I don't know what to say. I'll give you the words to say, oh, Lord, you know I'm weak in this area. You know I'm not strong. I'll give you the strength. Oh, Lord, what happens if they do this or do that? I'll take care of that. He's patient with you. Lord, I don't want to. God doesn't like that. As the old saying goes, you can't say no, Lord. If he's Lord, if he's master, and you're the servant, how can you say no? God did not get frustrated with Moses until Moses just simply said in verse 13, I won't. Now, the reason I bring this up is whatever reason, excuse you have from, from going deeper as, in a ministry or as a white or as a witness or anything, God says, I will empower you, I will enable you, I will strengthen you. I will do it. God says, I will work with whatever place you're at 
as long as you're willing. As soon as you say, not me, God says, no, that's something I can't work with. He is looking for us to be faithful. He's looking for us to be obedient. He's looking for us to be willing. That's what he wants. Now, with that being said, the purpose of 1 Timothy, once again, is to do what? To train us up as a church to equip the saints to go out and be lights and witnesses. Guys, we've been blessed out here. We really have been blessed. We have to make that decision now. Do we want to sit here? Just be blessed? Or do we want to say, now, Lord, you've blessed us so that we, we may go out and be lights and witnesses. Guys, let's change what we can through the Lord's power, where we work, where we live, where we go to school. Let's really be lights and witnesses and make a difference. Make a difference in what we do and say. And that's what we want to encourage you to do as we do that. Tim and Kelly, if you want to come up here for the uh, final song.